Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Christmas Case Diaries. Ching, 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 And that's enough. We're three old elves learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Adam. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. It was perfect. Wow. It, was, it was like yeah. a professional orchestra. It was yeah. Like, yeah. And done. Except for you had to give an audio cue instead of a, like an audible swoop down. I was going I to true. stop just so everyone asked. <laughs> I really was. Every year as Christmas approaches, we all have movies that get us into the spirit of the holiday. Some films are about families and their holiday adventures, while others are about couples finding love during the most wonderful time of the year. But there are those Christmas movies that aren't nearly as obvious. Some of us enjoy films that seemingly don't have much to do with the actual holidays, but are more holiday-adjacent. We've all seen and heard the arguments about what makes a movie a Christmas film. Does the whole movie have to take place around Christmas? Should it be about the holiday? Was it a holiday film when it first came out, or did it somehow become one as time went on? That last one's really interesting, because all three of the movies we're going to talk about, none of them came out at Christmas time. Yeah, but before we get started, we'd like to mention that if you want to support this show, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Diaries. If you go there and sign up for as little as $1 a month, you get access to our Discord, extended episodes, some exclusive episodes, high-resolution art of the episodes, and much more. This week, each of us chose a movie that both could and could not be considered a Christmas classic. Oh, you get some spicy takes oh, here. Oh, oh. <laughs> All three mention Christmas or take place during Christmas but could be enjoyed at any time of year. We're going to learn a little bit about each one, and maybe we'll be able to decide if they are a Christmas movie or not. Mm. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, find out. Yeah, so are you guys, <laughs> you guys excited to talk about these movies? Yes, a little it, bit. this is going to be interesting. <laughs> um, we've done episodes kind of like this before, mm -hmm. th this format where we Prompt each, episodes. Yes, we each yeah. bring a movie. Mm -hmm. to talk about so it's not quite as in depth on each one yes yeah but the discussion surrounding it this time is gonna be yes different these are more discussion episodes yeah this is kind of like adam's bread and butter this is where he yeah. thrives yeah, <laughs> well we usually have adam lead these episodes anyway all right so who's going first i think Ooh. it's i think well, should i just go first because it's on the dock yeah and, yeah do it I figure yeah yeah then i then i know what to do for mine the one that you've Ooh. already thought about Adam's, listening yeah. is the one I'm Adam's doing. is the heavy hitter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Adam's is the... He's the one that everybody's waiting for. Yeah, so, so you know, we'll just get ours out of the way. Yeah. Gotta save the best for the last. Oh, God, too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the movie that I'm going to talk about is Gremlins. <gasps> Whoa. The classic horror Christmas film from the mid-1980s. Mm -hmm. Really pretty yeah. great movie. Really good special effects. Some of the best practical effects ever. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was directed by Joe Dante. It was written by Chris Columbus. It was produced by Steven Spielberg. This is Heck a, yeah. a all the huge movie. Yes. So here we go. If you have not seen Gremlins, I'm going to give you a little rundown. A gadget inventor named Rand Peltzer finds the perfect Christmas present for his son, a small pet called a mogwai from a Chinatown shop. The man in charge of the shop refuses to sell the creature, but his grandson ignores his wishes and lets Rand take it home. The young boy gives Rand three very important rules. Never expose it to sunlight or bright lights, never get it wet, and never feed it after midnight. All of these rules are inadvertently broken by Rand's son Billy, resulting in a horde of mogwai monsters taking over the city, causing mayhem and panic on Christmas Eve. Ooh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> One question. Yeah. Why are they called mogwai? Mm-hmm. But the movie is called Gremlins. <laughs> Tell me, why are they not called Gremlins? Because they don't, they don't start, or well, wait, that's what, or I they start thinking. out as Mogwai, but they become, did. Is that is that what it is? Right? I, because I I'm believe, willing to accept that answer. I believe they don't say the word Gremlins once right? in the entire movie. Oh, true. It's like they use the word 
mm-hmm. gremlin to describe this monster. Yeah. yeah. But it's not. I do. All, yeah. I do use gremlin to describe things. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. my annoying little dog. It, it's what a... I just being a gremlin right now. <laughs> so that way you know what kind of a movie you're getting into. Yeah. If it was called Mogwai, you'd be like, oh, let's take all the kids. I mean, it is, you know, like. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah. Honestly, I think that the advertising for this was kind of genius like yeah. i remember being a kid and seeing the cover of gremlins yeah and it's like a little box it's a box you guys yes. remember it's like a box and like yep. the hand is coming out of it yeah and i remember seeing that and it's like that character is so cute yes mm-hmm. but there's something so ominous about mm-hmm. that about that photo about yeah. the that i knew that it, it was like gonna be a scary there had movie to be yeah. like I, yeah. yeah like i knew there Something's was something scary off. about yeah. it and i think that that it was really good marketing it was really mm-hmm. smart it, it, that is a good question, Adam. And I think the, a lot of the, the gremlin thing comes from the fact that the man that buys it is an inventor, mm-hmm. and he has these technical things mm-hmm. that always go wrong. And when something electronic goes wrong, what right. do we say? Oh, right. yeah. It's because of the gremlins, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was part of it, too. True. Yeah. I like it. I'll yeah. accept it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to do a little history first before I talk about the making of the movie, because I'm extra like that. Oh. I don't think you guys did histories, did you? Did I you? sure did you? didn't. I mean, not... No, I guess not. <laughs> don't look for it like you did, and you can't remember if you did or not. You certainly didn't. I mean, maybe I should kind have done of. a pride... We did a whole episode that yeah, we pre- did. precludes Yeah, that's mine. true. That's true. That's true. We did do that. You're anyway, not wrong. Anyway. I'll sorry. give you that. <laughs> so I just wanted to do a very brief history on what a gremlin is. As far as mythological creatures go, gremlins are fairly young. Thought to be similar to fairies and goblins, there is quite a bit of debate as to where they originated. Some believe the creature came from England. Its name derives from the Old English word gremian, which means to vex. Oh, interesting. The term gremlin became widely known during World War I, when English pilots in the Royal Air Force began blaming mechanical problems on unseen gremlins, impish creatures that delighted in causing trouble. A British magazine called The Spectator published a story just after the war, referencing the existence of, quote, a horde of mysterious and malicious spirits whose purpose in life was to bring about as many as possible of the inexplicable mishaps which, in those days as now, trouble an airman's life. And they weren't saying the word gremlin yet. Yeah. At least not in print, anyway. Some historians believe that these creatures were first named in print by a magazine called Aeroplane in 1929, calling the creatures a flyer's nemesis. Mm. The lore of the gremlins expanded into World War II and inspired a young flying ace and writer named Roald Dahl to write a book about the creatures. Popular cartoons like the Looney Tunes also referenced the little troublemakers in their animated shorts. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Eventually, the creatures became synonymous with any kind of technical malfunction, not just airplanes. Even an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark features a gremlin. Uh-huh. Do you guys remember this episode? I think I do. I don't think I do. <laughs> um, it's called The Tale of the Curious Camera. <laughs> when he takes pictures with the camera, the pictures are in the future and like something bad is happening. Whoa, okay. Yeah, and so then they find, they realize that it's what's happening is that there's a gremlin in the camera that is causing these things to happen. Uh-huh. And the gremlin jumps into other electronic things at the end of the episode oh. as they're trying to fight it. This is why it makes sense in the film Gremlins for Rand Peltzer, an inventor with a home full of malfunctioning products, to be the one to take a gremlin home. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Rand Peltzer is super charismatic, and he is always selling stuff to people, but none of those things really work. Nope. Like the, Or they own... might work for like one time. Yes. And then yeah. after that- it's awful. yeah. They <laughs> foreshadow a lot of events that are going to happen later on with mm-hmm. the gremlins when you know, like the egg machine doesn't work, yeah. and like those kinds of things. And the juicer, yes, <laughs> and they're trying to like use his products and they're not really working. Chris Columbus was in his twenties when he wrote Gremlins. He had recently graduated college and was getting steady writing work when he decided to write his own creature feature, inspired by his favorite horror films and the sound of the mice scampering across the floor in his apartment at night. Columbus developed the plot for a holiday-themed horror comedy. Um, what a terrible <laughs> but yet awesome inspiration. Yeah. Yes, he said that he was in a really crappy apartment oh. in Manhattan. He said, and the 
the mice would scamper across the floor, and he was really scared oh, that yeah. they were going to bite his hands at oh, night. Oh my god! When, when he when he slept, and that's where he got the idea. Wow. The <laughs> yeah. He sent the script to his agent, who sent it out to dozens of producers. A few weeks later, Columbus got a call from Steven Spielberg, who had discovered the script and thought it was one of the most original things he had ever read. This discovery would catapult Columbus to fame, and by 1986, Spielberg had already produced three of Columbus's films. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a name Damn. you recognize. It's mm-hmm. crazy yep. to think that it wasn't one al- yeah. always, you know. This is actually really funny. Chris, so Chris Columbus, like, he was getting some work, you know, not a lot. Again, he recently graduated college. He was yeah. pretty young. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, he was living with his roommate, and the phone rang, and his roommate was like, hey... <laughs> this is after dozens of producers had turned down, down the script. And, yeah. yeah. His government was like, dude, Steven Spielberg is on the phone. <laughs> and he was like, that's hilarious. Like, that's like, so joking. funny. Yeah. And he's like, you no, this is you should take the call. So took it, he goes, Who is this really? And he was like, No, this is this is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> How you doing? He's like, I want you to come to California. Could you meet me in Cal he lives in New York. Can you meet me in California? Oh my god. To talk about this movie. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, amazing. That would just be one of those cliche moments in in other movies where you're just on the phone and it just drops and hangs. And then there's a shot of it just hanging there and you just hear, hello? 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 Yeah. And then it takes them a minute to snap out of it. Yeah. yeah. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And then a shot of a plane landing in California. Yes. Perfect. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Columbus got the idea for Gremlins from his dad, who had spent Saturdays underneath the family car talking about the little creatures that were keeping it from working properly. He spent a lot of time in Chinatown as a student and became interested in the small shops that sold items that you couldn't seem to find anywhere else. So it made sense to him that Rand Peltzer would find the Mogwai creature in one of these shops. The name Mogwai comes from the Chinese word for devil. Oh, perfect. Yeah. The first draft of the film was more graphic than the final product. For example, it included a scene where the gremlins went into McDonald's and ate all of the people but left the food. Ooh. Uh, funny. <laughs> well, different, yeah. That but made me I, laugh out loud. But I am okay with it being cut. <laughs> yes. I don't like that. I thought that was but it's, very it's, funny. It does sound yeah. very funny. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think so. It I... would, Yeah, it, it would be fitting just to like <laughs> yeah. see... Like trays of like Big Macs and stuff, not yes. sponsored. <laughs> and there's just like bodies everywhere, yeah, oh like limbs god. and things. Anyway, yep. Glad they oh didn't my see anybody in this. And then the then you could do a poster of yes. the McDonald's like fry container, but it's fingers. Yeah. Oh snap! Spielberg helped Columbus reshape the film to meet the needs of a more general audience, changing key elements like keeping one gremlin in its original form which added emotion to the story. So Steven Spielberg, what I love about this whole thing is he took the script, he saw the potential, and then he was like, but I can see how we need to change it. Like we, yeah. He was like, because it was a very graphic, rated R script yep. where I think Billy's mom, her head gets decapitated oh and thrown on the stairs. Gosh. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, been pretty intense. Yeah. It was, yeah. And so one of the big changes was let's not make all of the cute little Mogwai characters become gremlins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's Smart. keep one. And then that way there's an emotional connection between the main character and his yeah. pet, you know, yeah. a, you know, a yeah. monster, in, a boy and his monster, yeah. and, you right. know, and that's kind of what, well, I mean, what's going on. Also, if you think about it, if they all turned into gremlins, where would all the other gremlins come from? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that change was very strong, very pivotal. Yeah. And he was able to tone down a lot of the horror elements mm-hmm. right. to make Smart. it a more PG movie. <laughs> more because, again, family me- <laughs> PG was kind of their only option. Yeah. Right. If they didn't want to make an R-rated film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe Dante had been directing films since the mid-1970s when Spielberg called on him to make Gremlins. He's had a prolific career making films that you have undoubtedly heard of, like Small Soldiers and Explorers. Spielberg felt Dante was the right director because of his previous work on films like Piranha and The Howling. He was looking for a director that could poke fun at modern films and culture. You know, when he got sent the script, he actually thought it was a mistake. Uh He thought that Steve Spielberg sent the script to him. (laughs) I just love that everybody who worked on this was like, 
Wait a minute. Did you mean me? Really? Yeah. yeah. Wait. The <laughs> Steven Spielberg? Are you? Yeah. You're not joking? This is this is really? the Steven Spielberg, Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. All right. Dante used Norman Rockwellish influences to depict the picturesque town that the gremlins were about to destroy. He also brought in as many actors from classic horror films as possible. Spielberg believed that hiring big names to play characters in a fantasy film would take the audience out of the story. So the film starred fresh faces and lesser-known actors. What a great yeah. mentality. Interesting, right? Yeah. It's, like, totally different now, but... Dude. Yeah. But, yeah, he had this idea that, like, well, if we have Brad Pitt in this movie... Yeah. If you have Tom Cruise, yeah. whatever, if you have them in this movie, people are going to watch it, and it, already they have to suspend their belief yeah. so much to watch this movie. That's, it's a good point. It's going to be really hard for them to, like, do that because they, those are public public figures. Yeah. And you're going to see the public figures and not the characters. <sighs> Dante insisted that Gremlins be filmed on a stylized backlot instead of on location because he didn't want the movie to look real. He felt that the obviously fake Mogwai characters would look out of place in the real world, so he created an idyllic town instead. It's, you know, you're allowed to see the seams of it because it's part of the exactly. aesthetic. Yeah, it's like, you know... There is nothing wrong with going to a play and seeing a hand-painted set. Yeah. You know, you know that that's not real. Right. Yeah. But, like, you don't expect it to be real. Yeah. You you walked into a building to watch this. (laughs) Yeah. You know it's not real, you know? So I think that you have that, like, when the audience knows that Mm -hmm. that level of, like, Everyone watching this movie knew that these weren't real monsters, unless you were, like, a a small child. Yeah. You know, like, everybody mm. watching... You know, knew that. Yeah. And so you just kind of let the audience believe that, mm-hmm. like understand that, kind of, you know, shake the audience's hand, you come to an understanding, yeah. and yep. then you just kind yep. of keep things consistent throughout because right. that makes it easier. Despite the fact that Gremlins takes place during the winter, the movie was filmed during a sweltering California summer. Oof. Zach Galligan, who played Billy, said that he was constantly sweating because he had to wear a parka in 100 degree heat. The snow in the movie was a combination of ground ice and sand. Ice was used for close-up shots and sand for wide angles. Dude. Uh, Miserable. (laughs) That sounds horrible. I know. I can't imagine that. Like, watching it, 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 I feel like they did such a good job making it look like it's the winter. Yeah. They did a really good job. I thought it was snow. Yeah. Gremlins was a critical and commercial success. Although it released alongside the monstrously successful Ghostbusters, this horror comedy made back its $11 million budget during its opening weekend. Wow, that's pretty good wow. for the yeah. kind of movie this is. Yeah. And it was against Ghostbusters, which was right? a oh similar kind yeah. of movie. Mm-hmm. You know, they were both horror comedy, quote unquote. Right. It went on to gross over $153 million worldwide. This was a surprise because the suits at Warner Brothers didn't like the film at all thinking it wasn't funny in the slightest. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, just, they just didn't get it. They did not Damn. get the movie. Wow. Joe Dante said that a mother even screamed at him during a test screening because she didn't think it was suitable for children. But audiences ate it up. <laughs> I, did, I mean, did they intend it to be for children? It was, right? see, like, because it was PG. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, yeah that's people. Yeah, it was like, you know, she was yeah. there with her son mm-hmm. for the test screening, and there's a part where... I think one of the gremlins gets blown up in a microwave. Mm-hmm. And that was the mm-hmm. part that she was like, this is not suitable for children. One of the biggest factors to the success of gremlins was the character Gizmo. Voiced by comedian Howie Mandel, this lovable furry creature maintains its cuteness despite the mayhem that occurs throughout the movie. Composer Jerry Goldsmith, who delivered an incredible score, found a young girl to be the singing voice of Gizmo. Aww. This thing... So cute. Adorable. <laughs> I it's it's actually hilarious. Yeah. Because it looks so much like a Furby. Yes. Yeah. Which like but came like, out years later. Yeah. But Furbies were terrifying. Yes. This thing? Yeah. So cute. Well, I mean, I think the beak makes yeah. the Furby like yeah. really creepy. The beak and the no limbs. Yeah. 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 And the the autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, this is the cutest little yeah. thing. Gizmo was so cute. Yep. 
and they made it as cute as possible. They gave it this little kid singing yeah. voice. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Howie Mandel, they kind of sped up his voice a little yeah. bit, you know, and it's just honestly very, very cute. Yes. The impossibly adorable gizmo sits in stark contrast to the gremlins that transform into murderous bat-like creatures. The gremlins were a combination of puppetry, stop motion, and animatronics designed in an age before CGI was a common visual effects tool. Chris Wallace was responsible for stunningly real creations. He and his creature crew made puppets that were controlled by levers and switches. According to Joe Dante, they even used marionettes in a couple of scenes. Much like the Muppets, some puppeteers stood beneath the sets to control the gremlins. For the sequel, the legendary Rick Baker joined the team to expand on what the creatures could do. Very cool. I yeah. love practical stuff. It's It looks so good. It, it looks holds amazing. Up. It holds yeah. up incredibly well. So, is Gremlins a Christmas movie? This is really Ooh. why we're talking yes. about it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, what do you guys think? Big question. Do you guys think it's a Christmas movie? <laughs> I don't know. Let's talk about it. All let's, right. Let's get into it. So what makes it a Christmas movie? What is the argument for? Okay. So there are some pretty obvious reasons why some people consider Gremlins to be a Christmas movie. Firstly, it takes place at Christmas. It includes Christmas music, and the entire plot occurs because Rand Peltzer needs to find a Christmas present for his son. Mm. This is also an argument against it because people are like, well, <laughs> his birthday, <laughs> you know? There are right. other reasons to get him as present. Yeah. I will say, though, that the argument that it could take place on some other holiday or it could take place on the birthday, I think, is an unfair argument mm-hmm. because it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. looking at the movie as what it is, and it is Christmas. That's true. So. Yes. Chris Columbus has said that the film was meant to be a satire on It's a Wonderful Life, another famous oh. Christmas story. Because of this, the plot relies on the film taking place during Christmas. Otherwise, the satirical nature of the story wouldn't make much sense. If Gremlins had taken place during Easter or Halloween, the core concept of the movie would have changed. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. So this is something that I see a lot of people when they argue about Gremlins, and they're like, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's not a Christmas movie. And they say, because it could take place any time during the year. However, yeah. though, the satire, the like the kind of the purpose of the movie, yeah. The what makes it kind of funny. I mean, obviously there are other things that make it funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gremlins are hilarious. Yeah. they've got really interesting dark humor weaved throughout this. They have this absolutely bonkers scene where Phoebe Cates talks about her dad <laughs> and how he died because he was trying to be Santa Claus, and oh, he, my he gosh, that's actually right, the climbed chimney. in the chimney oh, and broke his gosh. neck. And it's like a scene where the audience uh, is like, I don't know whether to laugh or cry or yeah. what I'm supposed to do with this. This is, <laughs> and it's like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. absurd. It's yeah. like there are absurd moments, and a lot of those absurd moments are rooted in it being a Christmas movie because, yeah. I mean, it, you know he. he he died trying to be Santa Claus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I mean like yeah. Like, how, how more Christmas can you get? Yeah, exactly. How more dark Christmas can, yes. you, can you be at that point? One way to measure the Christmasness of a movie is to look at the feel-good nature. Gremlins doesn't have those tear-inducing moments that you'll find in Miracle on 34th Street, but it does have a fair amount of goodwill. The relationship between Billy and Gizmo gives Gremlins a sentimental softness that audiences might want to revisit every holiday season. The Christmas fuzzies, oh. is what I call it. Oh, yeah, and like, totally. And, like, you know, there are movies that you watch at Christmas, and they give you the, what, like, a, a, the quote-unquote Christmas fuzzies, where it makes you, like, nostalgic for Christmas. It reminds you of your own family, your own memories, yep. like, yep. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Makes you cry, makes yeah. you weep uncontrollably, yeah. whatever. <laughs> it brings up <laughs> reasons that you like the season. Yeah. 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 And so, like, a lot of these movies that are on the edge don't really have that. Mm-hmm. And that's what sets them apart and makes you question, mm-hmm. right. is this a Christmas movie? Right. And Gremlins has it a little bit, at least, I think. Yeah. It does have the family element. It does yep. have that relationship element. Right. And that is the big question. No matter what movie you're looking at, that is the question. Does a Christmas film require that mm-hmm. to be considered a Christmas film? And Yeah. So what are the arguments against? There's a couple of pretty strong arguments against whether or not it's a Christmas movie. There's one clip, one clip film behind the scenes. Joe Dante tells one of the young actors that the film will be out in the summer. 
When the boy asks him why not Christmas, Dante explains that if it were a Christmas movie, people would stop seeing it after a couple of weeks. Mm. Although there is no denying that the film takes place at Christmas, it was not necessarily meant to be enjoyed only at Christmas. So it sounds like, you know, Chris Columbus was like, absolutely. Yeah. This is a Christmas movie. Um, I wrote it to be a Christmas comedy because it's a spoof and it's a wonderful life. Yeah. And Joe Dante was like, ah. Maybe. It takes place at Christmas, but like we're not releasing like, it at Christmas. Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily want the movie associated with Christmas. Yeah. Right, right. Gremlins is one of the last PG horror films of the 1980s before the PG-13 rating changed the way audiences understood ratings. I mean, PG-13 was almost here. It was mm-hmm. so close. Yeah. This, only, is one, this is one of the close ones. Yeah, yeah, only a little bit later. Yeah. Like. Because of this, a lot of people would consider the film inappropriate for most audiences and therefore not something to pop on while wrapping gifts. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know. Yeah. I might put it on tonight. I mean, <laughs> I think I would, but I don't have any small children. Yeah, that's so right. I feel like that's a good point. I think that the that is like the question: like, can the family yeah. sit down? That's true. And watch family. this movie. Does it need to be family yeah. friendly to be a good Christmas? I mean, does right. it? It's another yeah. question. You know, I think I would be able to decide if. That that question that I mentioned just a bit ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. does a Christmas movie require the Christmas tropes right. that mm-hmm. are, like like you said, the Christmas fuzzies? Do they have to be part of it for it to be a Christmas movie? Yeah. I don't know. But I think if you're willing to take what Gremlins gives you, then I think it has, it leans Christmas movie. It has kind of more for it than it does against mm-hmm. it because yeah. since gremlins there have been more like quote-unquote violent christmas movies yeah because That's a good point. yeah and those are considered christmas movies yep, like one, yeah. one that came out just recently Violent Night. Violent Night. Yeah. People are going to say that's a Christmas oh, movie. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. necessarily detract. Mm-hmm. That's not points against Gremlins anymore. Yeah. In in like modern yeah. context. I mean, right? there's Krampus now. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. <laughs> I think it might lean Christmas movie. It has those points for it. And now some of its arguments yeah. don't hit as hard. Yeah. But yet, I don't know, because it's like. How often do I think like, oh, it's Christmas time. Let me yeah. watch Gremlins. Watch Gremlins. Yeah, one, like, yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like I just kind of randomly watch it sometime yeah. during the year. I don't usually I think of yeah. it during yeah. But I I just can't. I have such a hard time ignoring like all of the Christmas I, stuff in it. That's it's, true. You know? So yeah, it's it, this is a definitely it's tough. It but is I, very I'm gonna tough. say I'm gonna lean toward yes. I'm gonna say Gremlins yeah. is. Um, but it's it's a hesitant yes. It's yeah. not it's not an enthusiastic yeah. one. I'm not I'm not being yeah. like yep, definitely one hundred percent fighting yeah. the so, good fight for it. Yeah. <laughs> we have yes, no, and plausible. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think I think that's what, what we're saying yeah. here. Uh confirmed, busted, <laughs> implausible from Mythbusters. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I I think I agree with you, Robin. I think yeah. it's a hesitant yes because yeah. it has that Christmas stuff that you can't ignore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, yeah, you may not want to watch it around Christmas. Exactly. You don't get yeah. the fuzzies necessarily. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one. I think the the one thing that gets me because I would say no, but I think the one thing that gets me is the fact that the satire only works at Christmas. Right. Yes. And it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense at another time. And yes. that I think that is to me like that's it. All right. So the next movie that we're going to talk about is Bridget Jones's Diary. Oh, interesting. Whoa. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. but you guys all were thinking like, what? Yeah. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Um, Everyone's going, no, mm, the answer's no. Yeah. <laughs> Immediate no. <laughs> but here are the arguments. Let's hear it. Here we go. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. So if you haven't seen Bridget Jones's Diary, here's a little summary for okay. you. Bridget Jones begins the new year with some resolutions. Drink less quit smoking, and find a sensible boyfriend to go out with. This means to not continue to form romantic attachments to any of the following. Alcoholics, workaholics, (laughs) commitment phobics, peeping toms, megalomaniacs, emotional fuckwits, or perverts. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah, yep. So in order to keep on track, she begins a diary which chronicles her journey to self-improvement and the choice between her seemingly perfect boss, Daniel, 
and Mark Darcy, a man that at first criticizes and seems wrong for her. Dude, there is nothing perfect about that boss. I, know, I yeah. dislike him <laughs> immediately. Immensely. Yeah. He's uh Mr. Red Flag. Yes, yes. he sure is. He especially <laughs> today. Uh, Yes. We'll, we'll we'll get to that a little bit yeah. probably, but this is yeah, yeah, it is a bit of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this movie is based on the column and then the book by Helen Fielding. Ooh. Fielding was asked to start a column in The Independent. It gained a following and so was therefore turned into a best-selling book. And then she also helped write the screenplay as well. Cool. So she kind of was a part of the whole thing. So yeah. if, if you read the column and you read the book and you watch the movie, it all it all goes really it's all well together. Seamless yeah, and they didn't change it's pretty, anything. And... Yeah. Well, I mean they had to change some stuff. But of course, I feel yeah, like the general voice of it, mm-hmm. the general voice of Bridget is the same. Nice. You know, which is really neat. The film was the directorial movie debut of Sharon McGuire. She's also directed things like Incendiary, Bridget Jones's Baby, and Godmothered most Aww, recently. So, I like Godmothered. <laughs> it's, it's cute. One of the scariest things for Sharon McGuire was hiring the Texan Renee Zellweger as, oh. <laughs> as the well-known Bridget Jones. Yeah. Yeah. You have this like well-known mm-hmm. British you know character in a book and uh-huh. <laughs> that's become pretty popular beloved by yeah people in britain yep yeah and then you decide eh, i'm gonna hire a texan an american yeah, <laughs> yeah. an american yeah, not but not only an american, an american yeah. somebody who's from the south in america yeah. which is which is our most stereotypical uh, yes. accent here yeah but mcguire saw her as perfect for the role because she had so many of the qualities she thought bridget had and a certain vulnerability and inner irreverence. Both McGuire and Zellweger knew, however, that if they did not do well, it would be on both of their shoulders. I would be terrified if I was <laughs> Renee Zellweger. Yeah. I'd be like, you sure? Like, I mean, I want the job, but are you sure? But like, <laughs> yeah. In order to get ready for the role, Renee moved to the UK and became familiar with everything over there. And she was successful enough that Hugh Grant didn't even know she wasn't British until she showed up at the rap party with her Texan accent. That's amazing. Wow, yeah. That's so cool. That, she she that pulled would, it off. That would be mind-blowing. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. what? He's like, wait, what? I'm British. I should have known that you weren't British. <laughs> if you've ever seen this film, you may have noticed that it is a modern version of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, that's why Marcy picked this. Oh, one. Yeah. there you go. So there is sure a history. <laughs> yes. Oh, I see. Pride and Prejudice, the classic Christmas story. Yeah. You know, the one we read every year at Christmas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's not summary at all. Fielding wrote the columns and book, which came out in 1996, about the same time that the BBC released their version of Pride and Prejudice. From 1995. Dude, yes. The BBC version informed the book and took a lot from Firth's portrayal of Mr. Darcy. Mm -hmm. So when it came time for casting, there really was no other choice than Colin Firth. Yeah. (laughs) I mean. It had to be him. Oh, boy. Guy's so good. So good. One of the changes that was made from the book to the movie, though, was that there were more friends in the book and the screenplay, but it had to be cut down so that they could focus on Daniel versus Darcy, the two, uh, yeah, mm, male. See, see. Yeah. Which, talking about Daniel, going back to how toxic his, yeah. his personality is, Helen Fielding actually commented on it recently where she said she had watched the movie for the first time in a long time and just really realized how, like, just toxic and controlling and just sexist he is. Manip- yeah. Manipulative. So yeah. one example of this is in the elevator early on. He pats Bridget's butt. Mm-hmm. In the commentary, they talked about how they actually did two different takes of that. One was that they had him pat her butt, and the other was he pinched her butt. Mm. And they actually found that more mm. laughs came from when he patted her butt. It is than a little pinched. funnier. It is funnier, yeah. but still 
very yeah, yeah wrong and sexist. <laughs> neither of them are like all right, but yeah. one is much more implying. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say yeah. it's a lot. It's implying a lot more to pinch than it yeah. is to just pat. Mm-hmm. Yes. During filming, Hugh Grant, who plays Daniel, and Colin Firth established a kind of friendly rivalry for who would be the thinnest and have the nicest clothes. (laughs) Okay. So, Renee would be the one waiting for the two of them to come out of their trailers. (laughs) The makeup artist for the film was Graham Johnson. For Bridget's makeup, they went very natural for the most part, just covering imperfections with a little pink in the cheeks and stuff like that. Which I think is... It makes it more relatable. It makes it so that I can be like, oh, my gosh, I could totally be Bridget. You know, like I don't put on cakes of makeup or anything. I just kind of, you know, do do a daily. Yeah, she's doing her daily stuff. Yeah, it's just the the regular. She looks like a regular person. Exactly. She doesn't look like a movie star. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Which it makes just her character and just the movie way more relatable. Mm -hmm. At the parties, her makeup was a little bit heavier, which makes sense. You know, when you go to a party... You make a thing out of it. You just... Yeah. yeah, You know, you're putting on the Ritz kind of deal. (laughs) Exactly. When Bridget's diary pieces go up on a public board, it was actually really up there on the electric boards of Piccadilly Circus in (laughs) London's West End. Oh, my. Yeah. And it was the only place that would let them do that. Wow. Yeah, so when it had, like, her stats of her weight and, mm-hmm. like, how many cigarettes she had and stuff, that literally was put up Dude. on the board so, for everybody to see. What did the public think? <laughs> I wonder, you know? <laughs> okay, so a couple little other scenes. There was a, a quick scene where Bridget's mother is just at a mall demonstrating an egg peeler. Which is a really <laughs> funny scene. That egg peeler was specifically made for this movie. Egg peeler? Yes. 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 Uh, no. The mom is like, she's like kind of dating this guy. Have you seen this movie? I haven't. No. Oh. Well, the mom is kind yes, of, yeah. she's sort of dating this guy who's on a, wait, but wait, there's more like okay. shopping channel. Yes. Gotcha. So she's demonstrating like this, these ridiculous. Terrible. Yeah. Products. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Dude, and, egg peeler Yes. Funny. And yeah. of course it ends up looking very sexual because the way that oh. she pumps it and it just, yeah. Wow, it's like a shake specifically, weight. <laughs> yeah. You remember shake weight? Yes. What the f- were they thinking? <laughs> the next scene that we're going to talk about just briefly is when Bridget and Daniel are off to this lovely little mini vacation mm-hmm. and they're driving in the car <laughs> and Daniel's got the oh top down and Bridget's got, you know, she's got her Audrey Hepburn moment. She has like the scarf. Yes. The, yeah. Yes. Well, there is a man in the back seat that pulls the scarf off, and that's how they get the scarf. It doesn't oh. naturally just come off. They have somebody oh. pulling it off of her. Oh. So that's how that happened. Then the final scene quickly is that when Bridget finds that Daniel cheated, they show her in a bathtub, and she's like smoking, I believe, yeah. and all that. And this visual was actually inspired by an Eve Arnold photograph of a woman in a bath with her tight, like the tights hanging above her. So we'll kind of include that picture just because I think that's really cool that, you know, they take this inspiration. Yeah. It's very art deco. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So the film was released in April of 2001 with a budget of 25 million and it grossed worldwide at almost 282 million dollars. It was so successful that there were two sequels, the most recent with Ed Sheeran in it. Yeah. There's also been talks of a fourth movie. What? Wow. I know, that's pretty recent. It was received so well that on my copy of the DVD, it actually has five glowing reviews in the special features section. <laughs> They include ones from USA Today, Rolling Stone, and the San Francisco Chronicle. It mm-hmm. legit just has the articles. Just like you can just click on and read the articles. Wow. It was that popular. That's crazy. I mean, it's a really yeah. funny movie. Yes. So you might be wondering, uh, after all these little facts about it, I didn't really mention much about Christmas, yeah. did I? So you're like, why would it be considered a Christmas movie? Well, it is. 
begins in the new year and ends around Christmas. Yeah. So you got the picturesque snow and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It starts out, she goes to like a New Year's party. Yeah. Uh, people are wearing Christmas stuff. E- exactly. Yeah. Um, the focus is about the change that you undergo over the course of 12 months. Mm-hmm. So by the time it's Christmas, you're like looking back at, you know, how you're cha- you've changed and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the focus is really kind of on loneliness. And it's something that a lot of people feel during the Christmas season, even when they're surrounded by those they love, like Bridget is. Yeah, she's got a very loving father. Mm-hmm. Her mom is in the movie very much, but her mom yeah. loves her. Kind of looking on the outside is kind mm-hmm. not noticeable, but when you're in it, it's the, yeah. as clear as day, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have all these people surrounding you who say they love you and they do, and it's yeah. you know, so such a family thing. But then, say your your sibling is married, mm-hmm. or yeah. or yeah. they're with somebody for a long time, mm-hmm. whatever, and then. But you've been single for a long time. Yeah. It's just like, despite all of this holiday love yeah. and camaraderie, yeah. there's that itch that's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't have that one yeah. special person. Right? Yeah. So totally. And it's brought it's up. It's totally Christmas. Exactly. It's brought up throughout the entire movie. Like yeah. pretty much every event she goes to, they always ask her like, oh, Bridget, when are we going to get you married off? Oh like, my God. Exactly. You know, how's yes. your how's your love life? That that typical it question is, that yeah. like you know a lot of people and always it, find asked. It doesn't Christmas. stop too. No, it does yeah. not stop. Like no, it, that's it's, true. If you're not doing the thing everyone thinks you should be doing, yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. No, mm-hmm. if it's a partner, a yeah. child, a job, yeah. whatever, yeah. yeah, whatever you go, someone is gonna ask. <laughs> yeah. when are you doing the thing I think you should exactly. do? Exactly. Yeah. Like when are you going to college? Oh, okay. <clears throat> when are you getting married? Okay. When, when are, are you, you having getting... a baby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> so just stop trying to appease other people. <laughs> exactly. That uh, is the lesson. Exactly. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so what else makes it a Christmas movie? Well. Colin Firth's Christmas Jumper. Yeah. If you've seen the movie, you get it. You know it. It's even though he is wearing it at a New Year's party. Yeah. Mm. Yes. It's this horrible, ugly sweater. Yes. Classic. <laughs> Colin Firth said it actually made him a little too self-conscious and stuff because they would always be panning down to to like Aww. his stomach with Aww. the you know like Oh, Colin Firth, you're perfect. Aww. Yes. And then finally, in the ending scene, the lovebirds are making out amidst snowfall and twinkling Christmas lights. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I think when I think of it being a Christmas movie, that is the thing I think of. Yes. When, you know, her friends you know, are off going, they're going to go off on holiday yes. and they're trying to convince her to yes. go. And Colin Firth shows up. Yes. You know. This is that warm, lovey feeling. Yes. This you is, know, this is what it happens gives at it, the end of the movie. Yes. It's at the right time. So you have to wait. You know, you have a lot of comedy and loneliness yes. beforehand, but then you just get yeah. this. Oh, yes. You get that warm, fuzzy feeling there yes. at the end. So, so sweet. So, what makes it not a Christmas movie? Everything else. Yeah. Pretty much everything <laughs> else. Uh, you know, all that other stuff I was talking about before? That? You know, um, but so the film was released in April of 2001. Yeah. So it was not released during Christmas time. It wasn't like a, hey, this is a Christmas movie. Yeah. The majority of the film takes place throughout the warmer months. They Mm -hmm. go on a holiday where they're boating and it's warm. Yeah. There's really only one small section of this movie that has like Christmas. But there's a really, I mean, it, it. I mean, there's a few significant scenes mm-hmm. where, like, she's with her dad on Christmas and That's they're watching true. the specials on mm-hmm. TV and all of that stuff. That's and, a good point. You know, like, the, you, they do talk about Christmas. Yeah. It's not like it's, you know, but it is. Completely. It is, I could see why someone would watch it around Christmas. Yes. Um, I do typically watch it around yeah. Christmas. I mean, that ending scene, I think, yes. for me, is most, you know, it's like, okay, right. this is... This movie poses the question, mm-hmm. how much do you need for it to become a Christmas That's, movie? Yeah. At what point mm-hmm. yeah. does it yeah. like become a Christmas movie? How much Christmassy stuff do you need? Like we mentioned with Gremlins, it's like, sure, it's in there, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. what stuff matters, right? But yeah. now yeah. the question is, how much stuff do you need? Yeah. yeah. So- 
and that might that may point that some people require more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than an ending to yeah. to consider something yeah. related to mm-hmm. a holiday's yeah. Christmas in this case. It's like yeah. You know, is it ending on Christmas and being such a Christmas mm-hmm. heavy moment enough? And to some, sure, because that's the whole meaning of the movie right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. But it's only, what, 10 minutes out of a two-hour movie, right? <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. or whatever it is. So it's tough. This is, yeah, it's tough. I would yeah. lean, I'm a hesitant no, I guess. <laughs> These are all hesitant answers, everyone, by yeah, the way. You know, we're not like, confident about anything. You know, yeah. No. What, what do you think, Marcy? I don't know. I... I I would say that it's a winter, mm. you know. It's a winter movie. It's a winter movie. I I would think. Okay. You know, like I'll a, take that. You know, yeah. because I I do really think that her trying to better herself throughout that year that she has, yeah, really begins kind of around like the Christmas type time. You're thinking like, okay, well, what do I want to change? You know, when it becomes New Year, what am I gonna want to not really change about myself exactly, yeah. but like, how can I do better or be better? Yeah, and and so yeah, yeah. No, that, I, I agree with you. Yeah, that's a good point actually, because you know it, it's all kind of it, it may not take place at this time, but it's all in anticipation of that time. It's all yeah. R- yeah. R- leading up to that time because, like you said, she's trying to make herself better. Mm-hmm. In not just for herself, but also the 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 holiday season and how her family sees her, yeah, definitely has something to do with it, right? Yeah. You can't yeah. hide the fact that they have an yeah. influence on her, right? Yeah. So she's in a way doing it, maybe not to impress them, but to like just be better for them mm-hmm. and for herself, right? So it's all leading up to Christmas mm-hmm. yeah. in a way. Yeah. What, so what am I going to say to people next year? Yeah. 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 When exactly. I go to the party next year and they try to hook me up with somebody that I don't want to be with. Yeah. Right. You know, like, what do I have? What do I have to show for myself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Are you guys ready? <laughs> for the big oh, one. For oh, the man. one that you've ready? been waiting for. Ish. Yeah. My turn. I am doing the one movie that is debated pretty much. All the time, not even just around this time of year, just always. Mm-hmm. White Christmas. And <laughs> oh, the, yes. yes, White Christmas. No, yeah. of course, Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. Yes. You know, yeah. Let's do this for those of you who haven't seen Die Hard. That that may not be that many of you. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, what are you doing? This one's quite ingrained in pop culture. Yeah, but. Here is a little summary. NYPD cop John McClane goes on a vacation to visit his estranged wife, Holly, in Los Angeles, where she works at the Nakatomi Corporation. While they are at the headquarters for a Christmas party, a group of terrorists led by Hans Gruber take control of the building and hold everyone hostage. Unable to escape and with no immediate police response, John is forced to take matters into his own hands. Oh, no. A lot of people know about this one. It's a classic yeah. action staple. The first time I watched this, it was not Christmas time. It was not mm-hmm. shown to me in the context mm-hmm. of Christmas. Yeah. I think the first time someone said, oh, that's a Christmas movie, I went, oh, I guess so. <laughs> but I didn't, you right. know, it yeah. wasn't, I, you know, I didn't, I just watched it all throughout the year. Directed by John McTiernan. Die Hard actually started out as a book called Nothing Lasts Forever. It was written by former police officer Roderick Thorpe as a sequel to his previous novel, The Detective. Thorpe had been inspired to write Nothing Lasts Forever by a dream he had after watching the 1974 film The Towering Inferno. Hmm, okay. So it was quite the, like, weird sequence of events that led to this movie. Screenwriter Jeb Stewart was in serious financial trouble when Lloyd Levin, the head of development at the Gordon Company, asked to work on an adaptation of the 1978 novel. Believe it or not, Levin gave Stewart creative freedom as long as he retained the Christmas in Los Angeles setting. Mm. Interesting. Yes, he believed that the concept would provide an interesting aesthetic. 
and yeah. he's and he's not wrong. No. Yeah. Similar to what we're talking about, some of the behind the scenes with Gremlins. Yeah. Christmas yeah. in a place that doesn't get cold is very strange. Right. Because yeah. to the, people who live in cold, the old <laughs> movies and stuff. A lot of it was like, okay, mm -hmm. it's Christmas and we have it take place and on the East Coast or. Yep. So at the same time, Stewart began working 18-hour days at Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, and it left him exhausted and on edge. After getting into an argument with his wife, he went for a drive. There was a point where he saw a box in his lane and was unable to avoid it. He was forced to run it over, only to discover it was empty. According to Stewart, he pulled over on the side of the freeway with his heart pounding. Aww. So you can imagine seeing something in the middle of the road and just being unable to avoid it, and What's yeah, well, you got to hit it because yeah. there's no you don't have an option, I mean, you right? Yeah, brace for impact yeah. kind of thing, and that's terrifying. From this, Stewart conceived a story of a man who should have apologized to his wife before a catastrophe. He returned home to reconcile with his wife and wrote the first thirty-five pages that night. Once the screenplay was written, it was pitched to studios as Rambo in an office building. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's a pretty accurate yeah. Uh, yeah. description. Yep. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty dang good. Another screenwriter, Stephen E. D'Souza, ended up rewriting Stewart's script, as he had much more experience in blending action and comedy. Mm. He approached the story as if Gruber was the protagonist. Mm. He said, quote, if Gruber had not planned the robbery and put it together, McLean would have just gone to the party and reconciled or not with his wife. You should sometimes think about looking at your movie through the point of view of the villain who is really driving the narrative. Yeah. Because Die Hard was based on the novel sequel to The Detective, the studio was contractually obligated to offer Frank Sinatra the role. <laughs> Because, oh. because he was <laughs> the lead of the movie, The yeah. Detective. <laughs> I wonder why he said Bye. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sinatra, who was 70 at the time, <laughs> declined. Man, that would have been oh. such an interesting movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the role was offered to various major stars, including, and get ready for this, Sylvester Stallone, Ooh, Richard mm -hmm. Gere, Clint Eastwood, oh, wow. Harrison oh. Ford, mm. Burt Reynolds, Al Pacino, okay. and a bunch of other ones. Wow. A ton of action <laughs> stars and some not action stars. Man. The prevailing action archetype of the era was a muscle-bound, invincible macho man like Arnold Schwarzenegger who was actually also offered the role. <laughs> Bruce Willis was known mainly for his comedic role in the romantic comedy television series Moonlighting. Yeah. You guys know about Moonlighting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Starring opposite Sybil Shepard, he initially declined the role because of Moonlighting. But when Shepard became pregnant, the show's production was stopped for 11 weeks, giving Willis enough time to take the role. Oh, Yay. nice. Yeah, it's just a, like a, a, a nice coincidence. Yeah, fortuitous. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, even though it is an action movie, it's pretty funny. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. There's you a know, lot of great lines. Yeah, it's pretty comedic. <laughs> now, obviously, there's pre some pretty troubling parts, but mm -hmm. generally, you know, <laughs> it is kind of funny. It, yeah. Mm -hmm. He would find acting in Die Hard difficult because it was so different from his previous experiences. Mm -hmm. mostly that he was often alone, not having any others to act with. Several subplots and traits for characters other than McLean were created during the first few weeks of filming because Willis was still working on Moonlighting. Mm -hmm. He would film the show for up to 10 hours and then work on Die Hard at night. Oh, wow. That My... sounds miserable. God, <laughs> I yeah, mean, I it, Die Hard, it takes place exclusively at nighttime. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. These new scenes included Holly's housekeeper, Holly, uh... Holly confronting Gruber following Takagi's death, an introductory scene for Thornburg, and more moments between Powell and his fellow police officers. Mm. So there, there's a lot of extra stuff without McLean that was added in because he wasn't always there, you know? So they, yeah. they, like, they can't waste time filming, so they filmed other stuff. Yeah. It's pretty good use of of the time though. Yeah. It, it yeah. adds a lot. It adds a lot, I'd say. 
Filming took place almost entirely in and around Fox Plaza in Century City, L.A. The building was under construction and was mostly empty, which was perfect for filming. Yeah, this building looks so empty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's supposed to be an office building where, yeah. with hundreds, possibly thousands of employees. <laughs> so it was secured with two main conditions. No filming during the day and no damage from all the explosions. Man, <laughs> I wonder how they did not do any damage. I know. Right? You got to be very careful because yeah. there's quite a few. So Die Hard released on July 12th, 1988 with a budget of $28 million. Wow. But then it went on to gross over $81 million. So it was very much a success. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But- as we've said in previous movies, get you know, hint, hint. It didn't release around Christmas. No, so that's it another released in July. It was a yeah. blockbuster. This is a yes. summer blockbuster. Yep. that's right. But that's just the first one. In what makes this a Christmas movie or not? There are a lot of reasons why people say Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and we couldn't possibly go through the every single one because there's a ton for this movie. Mm-hmm. But here are a few of the big ones. Just because a movie takes place at Christmas is not an automatic pass, but it at least passed that first hurdle. Not to mention it also is set at an office Christmas party. Right. Obviously, Christmas is happening in this movie. Right. So that one is just kind of an easy point. A Christmas movie should have Christmas music, right? And Die Hard has a few Christmas classics. From Let It Snow to Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis. There's also Bruce Willis whistling jingle bells, while the score often uses actual jingling bells to provide that seasonal vibe. Yeah. I feel like the Christmas movie that exists in Die Hard is more satirical and more mm-hmm. more of a juxtaposition. It's yeah. not necessarily right. like, oh, this is a Christmas movie. It's yeah. like, it's, right. you know, a little more of the Gremlins route yeah. where mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well... You know, look at all this blood and carnage yeah. and, and death, yep. and yep. it's the most wonderful time, right. you know. And... As Let It Snow plays over the end credits, snow is falling. Well, not actual snow, as it's L.A., but falling papers from the building that McLean has just spent the past two hours destroying sort of counts. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's kind of, it looks like snow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the biggest reasons is that in 2020, Stephen E. D'Souza made a compelling case that not only is Die Hard a Christmas movie, Die Hard is more of a Christmas movie than the seasonal classic White Christmas. So the writer says it is, and that's kind of hard to argue with, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like, again, like Gremlins, where the writer said it, but the director was kind of like, "Mm." Mm, yeah. (laughs) However, that does not stop people from making said arguments. When you think of traditional Christmas, the usual family-friendly stuff comes to mind. What do most Christmas staples have in common that Die Hard doesn't? For one, none of the classic specials include the intense violence depicted in Die Hard, the main reason for the film's R rating. I think, yes, (laughs) yes. I don't think a movie should suddenly be disqualified because it's rated R. Right. However, yeah. This might take place at Christmas, and we were talking about the Christmas fuzzies. Mm-hmm. You don't really get those when you're no. watching people get murdered. Yeah. Which, again, yeah. with Gremlins, you you know, you do see that. Mm-hmm. It also lacks any traditional Christmas motifs, like Santa Claus, reindeer, elves, snowmen, and even shopping malls. Yeah. So mm-hmm. all of those classic Christmas icons, I would mm-hmm. say. They're just not in this mm-hmm. one. My favorite, though, is that he writes ho, ho, ho on one of yeah, the men yeah. that he kills. Yeah. So there's that. So Yeah. I, there you go. So we could, <laughs> you could argue that Santa is in the movie. Yeah. yeah. So you put the spirit of Santa. Yeah. 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 Regardless of the holiday, Gruber would have gotten some hostages, whether it was a Halloween or Thanksgiving party, and the president of the corporation, Joe Takagi, would have still been present either way. Yeah, offices have Halloween parties too. Right, exactly. Many argue that one could describe the core plot of this movie without mentioning Christmas at all. You know, uh, that is a really interesting argument because pretty much, I'm going to look to the other Die Hard movies. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every Die Hard movie is about the same, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. 
a thing is happening, only John McClane can save them. That is like yeah. the plot of every Die Hard movie. And none of the other ones take place at Christmas. So mm-hmm. you could, I feel like it's a strong argument because it's been proven to be true. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, I mean, none of the other ones, one's 4th of July, one's like Labor Day weekend, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And to counter the writer, Stephen E. D'Souza, Bruce Willis disagrees. During his own Comedy Central roast, Willis ended a speech by proclaiming that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a goddamn Bruce Willis movie. (laughs) And now you could say that he was joking around. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe I won't say that. I mean, is yeah. yeah. Is Christmas the star or is Bruce Willis the star? I mean, that is the question, Mm, right? Right. That is is a good question. Because a lot of classic Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. You would say that Christmas is kind of the yeah, star. Christmas is the Christmas is like a character. Is the, yeah, yeah. Christmas is the whole point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and in Die Hard, maybe not so much. Yeah. Right? What do you guys think? I mean, there there are there are a lot more arguments for mm-hmm. that I didn't mention. Like, yeah. Like you do get some of that. Eventually, you get some of that warm feeling when it's all over. Yeah. Yes. Right, and everything's okay, and it's we're more all like together. a sense of relief. Yeah. Than it yeah. is like a sense right. of oh, it's Christmas time. Right. That is yeah. true. It's time for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like it. It really. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's nice at the end. He reunites with his wife. Mm-hmm. I think people want it to be a Christmas. Movie, yes. So people like, love it, and you they like, want it to be a Christmas you movie. Search. For all the reasons it could be, yeah. So, and I don't think there's any denying that it takes no. place at Christmas. Yeah, and oh, there's, sure. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely no denying that there's Christmas elements to it. Mm-hmm. And I just think, but if you think about a movie like Home Alone, yeah, or you know Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and you like compare it to Die Hard, it's kind of like okay, yeah. I'm not gonna watch those movies any other time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Die Hard, I will watch all year round. Right. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's like, that's an interesting, I mean. And at the, but at the same time, you know, you can argue that at least in the movie, it has to be Christmas, not only for the satire kind yeah. of effect, but the bad guys wouldn't choose any other time because they're yeah. trying to get the most bang for their buck, right? Yes. And Christmas that's is going to have the biggest party. It's going to have the most people. It's going to be Yeah, cuz the they're stealing to... from the safe. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it's going to be the it's going to be the ultimate one to choose, right? So in a way, you can argue that it has to be Christmas. So, mm-hmm. you know, it it brings those questions back yeah. up. How much Christmas stuff do you need? You know, at what point does it become a Christmas movie versus just a action mm-hmm. movie at Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely hard to say. It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, and Home Alone are movies that many of us watch every holiday season. They are unquestionably Christmas films, getting all of us into the holiday spirit. But when January rolls around, we don't often see these movies getting a lot of play. That's possibly the biggest difference between these bona fide holiday hits and the three films we talked about this week. Gremlins, Bridget Jones' Diary, and Die Hard are all movies that audiences can enjoy any time of the year without getting seasonal confusion. But just because these classics focus on topics besides getting the perfect presents or surviving yet another holiday season with your frustrating slash lovable family, Does that mean that they aren't Christmas films? The truth is, the holidays are hard. Watch any movie that will make your Christmas writer. You get to decide. If you want to watch Gremlins uh, while you're wrapping presents for your kids, um, (laughs) when they're not there, sure, sure, go for it. Look, uh, yeah, I'll show Gremlins to my Mm -hmm. five-year-old. They gotta learn young. When there's rules, you should follow them. Yeah, that's true. It is a very good... (laughs) It's uh, a good teachable teachable thing. I'm just kidding. Oh, boy. That is gonna do it, guys. That's gonna be a Christmas case closed. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. All right. I'll take it. Yes, we'll take it. Oh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes. Before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons, John, JD, Anthony, Shelly, Linda, Bob, Jaron, Brad, and Jacob. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you all very it much. It means so much to us. It really, yeah, really does. It really does. Thank you very much. Please follow us 
on our social medias. You can find them all on our website, blackcasediaries.com. You can become a patron if you want. We would appreciate that very much. Uh, we do have one new review <gasps> from yes! a certain somebody that we would like to read for you. Woo! You can you can leave a review wherever it allows you to. Yeah. iTunes is a good one, but yeah, yeah. those are the ones. But we it's see not the only the most, one. Yes. Yeah. So we have a new review here from Ridiculous Patronus One on iTunes. They said. I really enjoyed the movie reviews. Great review on Practical Magic. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to going back and rewatching this film. Aw. Great Aww. hosts that make sure they dive deep into every detail. Great chemistry, ah. fun, and entertaining oh. from beginning to end. Oh, okay. If you like reviews, it's a must-add to the playlist. Looking forward to continuing my binge of it. Fantastic show. Oh, that's so that's nice. so Thank sweet. You. So very, very nice of you. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much. I don't know why everyone thinks we have good charisma or whatever. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. We hear that a lot. We actually hear that a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Yeah. 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 Okay. We just know how to like, turn it on. I hate these yeah. guys. I know. Yeah. I, was about to say, I feel like I fight all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Adam and Marcy fight all the time. If you, <laughs> if you want more of the, the the a more taste of the real BCD, uh, yeah. you can get extended episodes on Patreon. And yes. thank you to those patrons. We hope you enjoyed that extended episode. Thank you. Yes, um, thank thank you. you all very much. We will see you next time. All right. Wait a second. Oh, we, we didn't oh, say. No. We never actually we, said whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie We or didn't not. like definitively oh, no. say for any of them. We should probably, yeah, yeah, we we should probably we should do that. that. So like Gremlins, what do we think? Gremlins, I yeah. think, yes. yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. Bridget yep. Jones. Bridget Jones. Mm. Winter. I want to say, yeah. Yeah, winter. Winter. Winter's winter a good. Movie. Yeah. So we're going to say, no, winter. No, but, <laughs> no, yeah. but it's no, close. Winter. It's like, yeah, yes. it's almost there. But. Yes. Okay, okay, and die then hard. Die Hard. And die Bridget Jones, wanton sex goddess with a very bad man between her thighs. Mum. Hi.